Would you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 24? Today we're going to be finishing our study uh, looking at the life of Abraham. This will be the last chapter that we look at. And then uh, next week we're going to start a new series that will go along with our ABFs, our Adult Bible Fellowship, using the book Fearless by Max Lucado. And I'll be preaching a series of messages coming out of the Gospel of Matthew that go along with that. And then in the ABFs there will be opportunity to discuss and talk about the material that you will have there as well. I think it's going to be a very good series. Again, uh, it's interesting. It, I didn't think about this initially when it was planned that next Sunday is 9-11, the 10th anniversary of that. Uh, but it seems very appropriate to be starting a series on Fearless at a time such as that. So uh, today we're going to look at chapter 24. It's a long chapter and I'll refer to it as we go along. Uh, but I'd like to begin with prayer and then we'll move into the text. Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for the life of Abraham. It has been a joy to walk with him through these pages of Scripture and to see his struggles and to see his triumphs, to see how he grew in faith as he walked with you. But more than that, Lord, it has been such an encouragement to see your faithfulness in each and every situation. You are a God who leads who loves, who cares for, who provides, who watches over your children. And Father, I pray that we would be faithful, just like Abraham, to walk with you day by day, to trust you in the circumstances and events of our lives, and to honor you as a people who love you, who believe in you, and who worship you with all their heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, there was a movie that came out that was called The Sweet Land. It was set in uh, western Minnesota, Montevideo area, and it was uh, in the days just after World War I. It was a story of a Norwegian bachelor who sent away for a mail-order bride. In this case, a mail-order bride that was coming from Germany, and it's a story of how they meet and connect and learn to love one another and live together. And when I, you know, was reading this text, I thought about that movie and I thought about, you know, what a step of faith that would be. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a mail order bride? Some of you, you know, and to think, uh, here's this guy that wants to marry me. I don't know a lot about him. Is this going to work? Are we going to really connect? You know, will he be a good man? Will he love me and care for me? I mean, that's a scary thing, isn't it? Maybe today the closest thing we have to that is when people connect on the Internet, you know, and they use uh, eHarmony or other online services to check out the profile and find out, you know, who's this person and is this going to work? Will this be a match? But even there, it's still a little scary, isn't it? A step of faith, a risk to take to see if this is going to be something that works out. Well, the story we're going to look at today is about Isaac and Rebecca. And it is a love story. It's a story of how they met and got married. But even more than that, it is a story about God's amazing providence and the continuation of the promise. Because here is this man, this child of the promise, and yet he was not married. And Abraham has concerns about that, as we shall see. 
He wants to see his son married, and he wants to see the promise continue. So let's take a look at the text. The story begins with a father's desire in verses 1 through 9. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Now let's go back and walk through that. Abraham is growing old and his son Isaac is not yet married. And Abraham is concerned about the promise. I mean, how is this promise of a blessing to all people? How is this promise of nations coming from me going to be fulfilled if Isaac isn't married and if he doesn't start having children soon? You know, and some of you can relate to that. Maybe you are anxious uh, grandparents or hopeful grandparents. And you have adult children who are now in their 20s and 30s and you want them to be happily married and start a family. And you're thinking about that. You know, the years are going by. Maybe this is the time, you know, that they should start and you're praying for them. Because all of us as parents have this desire to see our children want to get married and uh, marry a godly woman or a godly man and to start a family and to enjoy life together. That was Abraham's desire here too as a father. And so Abraham sends his servant on a mission. He calls him in and he gives him this assignment. I want you to go back to the land of my fathers and find a wife for my son Isaac. And he made him swear an oath. And as was a custom apparently at that time, he had him put his hand under his thigh and take this oath. And there were two things that this servant was not to do. Number one, he was not to get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Isaac and his descendants were not to intermarry with the Canaanites in the land. That was something we will read about later, or that Esau did, and his wives were a source of anguish to Isaac and Rebekah. And the second thing that this servant was not to do was he was not to take Isaac back to his father's land. God had given them this land, the land of promise, and they were to remain there. And so he was to find this wife and bring her to Isaac. Well, the servant asked a a question, a natural question. Well, what if she refuses to come back with me? I mean, what if I go and I tell her and I make this appeal and everything? And she just says, no. And Abraham once again expresses his faith in God. And he says that God will send his angel before you. 
God will give you success. But if she refuses to come back, then you will be free from your oath. Now we need to understand when we look at a passage like this that it's not giving us a how-to on how to find a wife. You know, a step-by-step guide on how to do that. That's not the intent here. But it is an example of faith and that does apply to all of us. To wait patiently on the Lord and His timing, whether it is His provision of a husband or a wife, or whether it is a job that we're looking for, or whether it's waiting on wisdom for a decision and God to give the direction that we need. He wants us, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, to wait patiently and trust Him. Well, secondly, what we see in this text is a faithful servant in verses 10 to 27. Now, we don't know the name of this servant. It's not given here. It may have been Eleazar of Damascus who is mentioned in Genesis 15 as the one who was in charge of Abraham's household. If it is Eleazar, it's a remarkable thing that this man who once was in line to inherit everything of Abraham's now is helping his son. And he's helping him to find a wife and to carry on the blessing. He is indeed a humble faithful servant. And let's read what happens in verses 10 and following. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, uh, taking taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, Naharaim, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll water your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a becca, and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. And then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. And then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, 
The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Again, here we have this faithful servant. And he decides on his plan of what he's going to do. The servant will take ten camels loaded with supplies and gifts and an unknown number of servants will travel with him back to Mesopotamia. They're going to follow again the Fertile Crescent from Haran and southern Israel and follow that all the way around hundreds of miles back to Nahor's home. And as they travel, you know, he's thinking the whole way, now how am I going to do this? I mean, you know, how will I know who is the right girl? And so he has an idea. The servant prays and he asks God for guidance. It is a short, specific, and spontaneous prayer, but I'm sure he had been praying all along the way. And he asks God, and he says, I will ask for a drink, and if she says, I will water your camels too, then I will know that she is the one. The servant is also a man of faith. No doubt his faith had grown under Abraham, and he has learned from him. And so he puts this petition before the Lord, and he waits. Now the request that he is making for a young woman to also offer to water his camels is a pretty remarkable thing. That would be a very generous offer. I'm not familiar with camels and how much they can drink and working with them, but I am told that a thirsty camel can drink 25 to 30 gallons of water at one time. Ten camels would be 250 to 300 gallons of water. This was no small thing that he was asking this woman to do. Not only that, but wells were dug into the ground, like where this spring was. It would be dug into the ground. This wasn't a well with a rope and you turn the crank and pull a bucket up. This was a well where it's more like a cistern and you walk down steps to where the spring is and you fill your clay jar. And this clay jar would hold somewhere between two and three gallons of water. That means if she was going to water all those camels, she would have to make somewhere between 80 and 100 trips down and back up again, down and back up again to put water in the trough. For a young woman to do that, she would have to be healthy and strong as well. And so here is this woman who comes out. Before he had even finished praying, Rebecca came out. And we learn from the narrator that she is the granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So she's a grandniece of Abraham. She is very beautiful, just like Isaac's mother, Sarah. And she is a virgin, chaste and pure. She is also gracious and willing to help. She gives the servant a drink of water and she offers to water all of his camels too. Without saying a word, the servant watched her work. I'm sure he was marveling and going, Lord, this is pretty amazing. You know, I just said, and here she is, and wow. And so he is waiting and wondering who she is. And when he asks, whose daughter are you? And he finds out that this is a relative of Abraham. He falls to his knees and he worships the Lord. And he praises the God of Abraham for this wonderful answer to prayer. Have you ever seen God work in your life in that way? With a specific answer to a specific prayer that you have made. It is always, it's such an encouragement when that happens. It doesn't happen that way all the time. As we know, there are times when God's answer is no, or He asks us to wait, or we have to trust Him, or He shows us just the next step to take, and not all the steps after that. 
and it is a walk of faith. But there are those times when he just makes it so clear that we can't miss it. It is a wonderful thing. For me, the clearest example of that was God's calling me here to this church when it was just a search committee and the idea of starting a church here was just that, an idea, and a group of people were willing to step out on faith from the cost-free church. And when Don Johnson, the chairman of that search committee, called me and I asked him what he was looking for in a pastor and what he was looking for in a church, tell me about that. You know, it was literally like he was reading my prayer card of bullet points that I had been praying for for over a year. God was in this, and I knew it. In the same way, we desire to see our children experience those same kinds of answers to prayer. And it can be a struggle to teach our kids to pray and to learn to see God work and move in their life. I think of one pastor, Paul Miller, who told this story about his daughter. He said, we had gone on a family camping trip. You know, one of those weekend trips where you want to get the kids out of the house and into the woods and enjoy time, you know, setting up the tent and cooking over a fire and all of those things. And he said um, on this particular weekend, though, his wife had stayed home with one of their six kids. Uh, She had refused to go camping again because her last experience had been so bad that she decided to stay home and you take the kids. And it was kind of chaotic, you know, cooking over the fire. Things didn't quite go the way he had planned. And the whole weekend was kind of one thing after another. Come Sunday morning, they finish breakfast, and he sees his daughter Ashley, who's 14, standing in front of their Dodge Caravan, and she is crying. And he's going, Ashley, what's going on? I mean, are you okay? And she explains that she has just lost one of her contact lenses. And he looks down at the ground, you know, there's leaves, there's twigs, there's rocks, there's dirt. I mean, it's just a million places where this contact lens would be. And he says, Ashley, don't move. We're going to pray. And she starts to cry again. And he says, Ashley, why are you crying? And she goes, well, what good would that do? Whoa. He goes, I'm a pastor. You know, I want my daughter to learn to pray and to value prayer. And here she's expressing some cynicism and doubt about the effectiveness of prayer. Ashley, where's that coming from? And she said, I have prayed for years for Kim, her sister, to speak, and she still can't speak. They have one daughter, Kim, who is autistic and who is also mute and who has been unable to communicate her feelings, and it has been a very difficult thing in their family. And Ashley's saying, I've been asking God for years to change that. And to let my sister speak, and that hasn't happened. And Paul's heart is just, he's moved by that. And he says, Ashley, we are going to pray. And then the quietness of her heart, he's thinking and saying to the Lord, he's going, Lord, this would be a really good time for you to come through. (laughs) This would be a great time. And they prayed together, and they got down on their knees. And sure enough, there it was on a leaf, he saw her contact lens. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did. It was the beginning of a number of lessons that would help his daughter learn to pray and trust God once again. We want that for our kids. We want that for ourselves. We want to be a person who prays and sees God work in our life. And sometimes the answers are so clear. And at other times, it is just still a struggle. And it's a walk of faith. But God is there and He's leading us. And we need to trust Him. 
that trusts Him, that He is good and He knows what is best even when we may not see the way. Because thirdly, we have a God who answers prayer. And what God expects of us is to pray and then to go about our work. I love the way James Boyce put it when he said this. He said, prayer is not given to make work unnecessary. Prayer is given to make it effective. This servant did not pray and then do nothing saying, you know, okay, I'm just going to pray and Jesus is going to show up and it's going to happen. No, he prayed and I'm sure he was praying from the very beginning of his journey. He prayed and he made preparation and he loaded the camels and he got all the stuff together that they would need. And then he's thinking of, Lord, how can we do this? What's it going to be like? And when he gets there, he's got a plan. I mean, he's doing all of those things. That's what we do. We pray and we go about our work. We do that as Sunday school teachers. We do that as youth leaders, as worship team members, as caregivers. Whatever our role is in the body of Christ, you know, we pray and then we prepare our lessons and get ready to teach. And we ask God to use us to be a blessing to others. I do that every week when it comes to the sermon. You know, I don't just pray and say, okay, God, what do you want to say? And then come up here and wing it. You know, I, I do some preparation and study because God is in that too and He helps us. We pray and we work and we ask God to bear fruit through us just like this servant. And what we see here in the verses that follow is that the young woman then ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. And as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. And then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. And in verses 34 to 49, he retells the story, all of what we read, so that Bethuel and Laban can hear it from the very beginning. Abraham's desire, his sending of his servant, the gifts that were sent, the prayer request that was made, and how Rebekah was this answer to prayer. I won't read it again, but if you look at verse 50, we see their response when they heard the story told. Uh, In verse 50, it said, Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. And let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. They too could see God's hand was clearly on this whole venture from beginning to end. And they were willing to let their daughter and Laban's sister go to become the wife of Isaac. Then the servant brings out gifts that are given They are the bride price, gifts that are given to Rebekah and to the family. And these gifts are given to show that the proposal was serious and to show the wealth and generosity of the giver. The family wanted them to stay for ten days. Perhaps they wanted to hear more about Abraham and Isaac and what was going on there. But this servant was anxious to complete his assignment. 
And so he wanted to go right away, and the decision was left to Rebecca. And in verse 57 it says, Let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. Now think about that. I mean, that was an amazing step of faith too. She was being asked to travel across a great desert with a man she had just met to marry a man she did not know. And she could easily have wondered, you know, what would Isaac look like? What will he be like? Is he a kind man? Is he a good man? Will he love me and provide for me? Her leaving her family would most likely be a permanent departure. She would never see her family again. You can understand why her parents would say, could we have ten days together to say goodbye? I mean, you can understand that. But the servant wanted to go and Rebecca was willing. For Rebecca to do that was also a step of faith. And she would be a wonderful wife for Isaac because she was a woman of faith. And isn't that what we want for our sons and daughters? That they would walk with God and that they would marry a woman or a man who would also be a believer and who walk with God? I mean, that's what the Scripture intends. That's what the Scripture says for those of you that are young to do, that when you think about marriage and you look for that person and you pray about that, to marry someone who loves the Lord and who will be that kind of man or woman of character and integrity. Well then finally what we see in this story in the fourth point is faith's joyous reward. We see how God answers their prayer. Let me read beginning in verse 59. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah, and they said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands, and may your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. It was basically the same blessing that had been given to Abraham and to Isaac in chapter 22. And then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. And now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. And he went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. And then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah. And he married Rebekah. And so she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Rebekah and her maids make the long journey back to Hebron. And all the while, she is probably wondering again what this man will be like. Meanwhile, Isaac, too, is waiting and watching. I mean, he's wondering every day, is today going to be the day? And one evening, he goes out for a walk. And what we see here is really a picture that's really a classic love story. I mean, when they finally meet, it's like a classic love story ending. He's out in the field one evening, having his quiet time. He's going for a walk with God. The Scripture says he went out to meditate. And he looks up and he sees this caravan of camels coming toward him in the evening. 
She looks up and she sees Isaac in the distance and she asks the servant, Who is that man who is walking toward us? And she gets down from her camel and covers her face with a veil. And can't you just picture it? I mean, here it is in the evening out in the field. You can see the sun setting and their silhouettes kind of walking toward each other in the amber glow of the evening. I mean, it's just, it's just perfect for a movie, right? As they come together and they meet and Isaac takes Rebekah to be his wife and they live happily ever after. It's a beautiful ending to the story. But what is amazing about this story is that this isn't Hollywood. You know, this isn't fiction. This is a real life story. He marries her and he loves her. And they do live together. And life isn't always easy. And there are trials and difficulties that they will go through. But they are committed to one another. Who but God could do that in real life? You see, God still works in amazing ways. Whether it is finding a wife or a husband, or finding a job or a church, or seeing God provide for our needs when we ask Him specifically. God sees our faith, and He is there to answer our prayers. He asks us to trust Him each step of the way, even when we may not understand what He is doing. And God rewards our faith. He blesses those who trust Him and who delight in His Word and in His ways. Now I want to tell you a little bit about Abraham as we end. There is an epilogue here in chapter 25 and verses 1 to 11 that tells what happened to Abraham. Abraham would take a second wife after the death of Sarah and he would have other sons who would become great nations. One of those is the nation of Midian. But he would only have one son who was the child of the promise. Abraham would die at the age of 175 years old. He was buried in the cave at Machpelah where Sarah was buried, the land he had bought for a grave. But the promise of a land, a people, and a blessing would live on through Isaac. And do you know what? It still lives on through all who place their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. A land, a people, and a blessing. For Jesus says concerning that place, He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. Of a people, the Scripture says that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And of a blessing, in Ephesians 2.7, it says that it's going to take all of eternity for God to show us the incomparable riches of His grace. What a blessing. Far more than we could even imagine. God is good. And He still leads those who will walk with Him by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these stories that we have read about Abraham as we have walked through the pages of Scripture. We thank You for the way that You have worked in his life and the fact that You are the same faithful, loving God to us. Lord, help us to grow in faith and to be a people who delight in You and in Your Word, who hear it and put it into practice in our life. And then may we experience in our life the joy, the fruit, the blessing that comes from having a relationship with You. We ask it all for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.